Uh, we remember that Hosea starts with that, that little story about the unfaithful wife of the prophet and comparing that then through chapter 6 or chapter 5 to the unfaithful nation and the faithful God. So the unfaithful faithful bride and faithful husband and unfaithful nation, faithful God. And then we're finishing tonight Israel's chastisement section and we're going into then finally God's faithful love for Israel, which we're starting tonight and finishing then next week. Next week is our last session, I believe. We're probably going to finish the book. So in chapter 9, we have a call to repentance. Um, and we'll just start there. Do not rejoice, O Israel. Do not be jubilant like the other nations. For you have been unfaithful to your God. You love the wages of a prostitute at every threshing floor. Uh, let me ask the younger men in here, what's a prostitute? Mr. Martins. A person who has sex for money. Yes, a person, usually a lady, not always, who has sex for money. And why would they go, what's a threshing floor? You thresh the wheat to get the stuff out of it, yeah. And by threshing it, that's usually with a really big, um, actually, that's only the beginning. You hit it with a stick or have cows walk on it, and then you take this big pitchfork, like a four, five, six-time pitchfork, throw it up in the air. Uh, it's called a winnowing fan. You throw it, and then the wheat, which is heavier, falls down, and all the little crud flies away. It's called chaff. So you're left with all of the important produce of your field in a big pile. And as the, as the threshing season continues, it might take you, I mean, by hand? Uh, I don't know. I'm guessing two weeks, three weeks to, to, to harvest and thresh all of your wheat, maybe. It might, I mean, it might take some real serious time. And we have an example of what went on in the book of Ruth. When uh, uh, Boaz um, is sleeping with his threshed wheat. And so when, when uh, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, tells her to go and make this bold proposal to Boaz, um, she says, don't do it when people will see you because they'll think, something and evidently prostitutes going out to the threshing floors was something that that kind of happened a lot threshing was really a man's world and a woman going out there at night was if she wasn't a wife she's probably getting paid so uh, but uh, threshing floors and wine presses verse 2 will not feed the people the new wine will fail them why Got all this harvest coming in. Why is it going to feed anybody? Because they will not remain in the Lord's land. Ephraim will return to Egypt and eat unclean food in Assyria. Now that's an important verse for our sakes because it is the first time any prophet mentions Assyria with regard to the coming captivity of Israel. Hosea's mentioned Assyria before this, but not in connection with the captivity. Only, like, you've talked to Assyria's kings. Okay, big deal. Now, Assyria is put in the same category as Egypt, which was... And, and remember this about Hosea. There's a lot of talk about Egypt as um, the place of captivity. And in some cases, 
the Lord almost looks back on Egypt nostalgically. Like, oh, when you guys were Egypt, we're, we're in Egypt and I was bringing you out of Egypt, that was the best time we ever had together. The, and, but this isn't going to be like that. This will be something very different. They will not pour out wine offerings to the Lord, nor will their sacrifices please him. Such sacrifices will be to them like the bread of mourners. All who eat them will be unclean. This food will be for themselves. It will not come into the temple of the Lord. So a bunch of different things here. First of all, wine offerings. Um, uh, Anybody know the word libation? Drink offering that you pour out? Yeah, or sometimes you hear it when people are just going out to have drinks. Sometimes um, in the Steely Dan song, Deacon Blues, libations, sensations that stagger the mind. Sorry, love that song. Um, but uh, they're drink offerings you'd pour out maybe on, a, on an altar or something. Um, and here, that sacrifice is not going to please the Lord. And sacrifices like that is going to be like the food that people eat when they're grieving. And when you are grieving, you've come in contact with a dead body, you're unclean. So nothing there pleases God. You're unclean. When you're done, come back to me, the Lord says. But, and it, it's going to be all for you. It's not going to come to me anyway. None of this is going to be like a sacrifice that I would find appealing. So, what will you do on the day of your appointed feasts, on the festival days of the Lord? Even if they escape from destruction, Egypt will gather them and Memphis will bury them. Where's Memphis? Very good. This Memphis is not in Tennessee. So, this Memphis is up in... uh, 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 Do this with your hand. Okay, That's a map of the Nile. Okay, so the Nile, the Nile comes down here and then up at the top it kind of fans out in what's called the Nile Delta. It's the opposite of the Mississippi, which ends in the Mississippi Delta. Very good. This is the Nile Delta. And up here between your, my, um, for you it would be um, over here. It's on, anyway, it's on your right. Whichever way you're looking at your hand, it would be on your right. That's kind of where Memphis would be. Um, on the east side of the Nile Delta, okay? So Egypt will gather in their, all of your stuff, O Israel, and it's going to be buried in Memphis. So the, one of the treasure cities, Memphis, Tanis, Zoan, treasure cities in Egypt, and this is going to be buried. So it'll be taken over by briars and prickers. Thorns will overrun their tents. So if you're looking for your treasure, you're going to get prickers on your on your on your pants, because you're not going to find any of it. It'll be gone. The day of punishment, the days of punishment, rather, are coming. The days of reckoning are at hand. Let Israel know this, because your sins are so many and your hostility so great. The prophet is considered a fool. The inspired man, a maniac. What's the sin there? The prophet is considered a fool. Well, which commandment's being broken? There are at least four, I think. So I've heard two, maybe four, one. Always a good bet with which commandments are being broken. One. Yeah, it's always correct. Eight. Yeah, and maybe three also. So yeah, a whole bunch of commandments here, the prophet. And, and is this broken? The inspired man's considered a maniac. Is this broken today too? 
Yeah. Uh, you have people today who question whether the Bible is really God's word. Um, there is a debate going on right now in scholarly circles about the canon of the Bible. What's, what's the canon? C-A-N-O-N. -O -N. Only, only two ends and they're not together. Yeah, the canon is the, is the, is the fixed um, body of work, the actual text of the Bible. That's the canon. Um, you're thinking of canon in terms of like a story, right? The actual stuff. And that's, that's, we get that from this biblical term. Um, for example, if you talk about, you guys uh, Star Trek fans? No? A Lord of the Rings fans? Okay. Um, in the Lord of the Rings, what's considered to be canon is what's in the books, not necessarily what's in the movies. Okay? So there's some stuff in the movies that didn't happen in the books. Like in The Hobbit, there's this uh, lady elf, I forget her name, Tariel or something like that. Not part of the... Not part of the actually, something like that happens in a different book by Tolkien called The Silmarillion, but it's not in The Hobbit. So not canon. Um, and uh, the canon of the Bible is what? Well, what's the Old Testament canon? It goes from Genesis to Malachi. And New Testament goes from Matthew to Revelation. Yeah, that's the canon. But there's a debate going around about, well, are we limiting God by making that the canon? Shouldn't it be more books? You know, things like that. You're talking about Mark 16, verses 9 to 16, and other things like that. I taught a whole Bible class about that subject, and I get really mad about that. And in catechism class, I used to pass out a jar of whiteout. Remember whiteout? For kids to take that line out of their Bible. <laughs> um, uh, uh, the, with regard to that, there are two ancient manuscripts that do not have the last eight verses of Mark. There are hundreds that do. One of them that doesn't is uh, the kind of Bible that only has the Sunday readings. It's called a lectionary. And it's missing all kinds of pieces because it's just the Sunday readings. So sure, it, you know, it's missing bits and pieces of all kinds of books of the Bible. The other one has room enough for those last eight verses before it starts the next book, which that manuscript never does. When a book of the Bible ends, the next one starts. But the scribe left enough room for those eight verses, like he knew the verses, but they weren't in the copy he was copying from. And so he said, huh, well, I don't know exactly what the Greek is for that, so I'll just go on in the next column, and when I find it, I'll fill it in. And he never found it, never filled it in. So actually, there's evidence for those eight verses, even in the manuscript, the most famous one, that doesn't have them. Um, and, uh, and I think that it's, no, I know that it is poor publishing to put a big line there in your Bible. And as they do in the latest NIV, they've even reduced the font and italicized it, those, those verses, to make it seem like this is just all wacky. But no, it's, it's in 
hundreds, really thousands of ancient manuscripts. It's been preached on for 2,000 years. There, there are commentaries written about this. It's there in scripture. And is it every bit as much as scripture as Genesis 1.1? Yes, it is. Um, which is why occasionally I still pre I preach on that on purpose to make sure that we're all on the same page about that. I think I am after Easter this year. It's some of the resurrection stuff like where Jesus says, um, um, oh, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. That's, that, that's in that section. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's it. Yeah, I no longer pass out whiteout because kids close their Bibles too fast and the pages stick together. But I honestly did pass out whiteout for a while in, in, Bible, in, in catechism class. Let's move on to verse 8. Thank you. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I, however, I did do a class on that in, in, in the format we're doing now. It should be available online somewhere, I think. Mark 16, the closing verses or something like that. So it's, it's there. Okay, verse 8. The prophet, along with my God, is the watchman over Ephraim. So who, we have two guys on the, on, the, on the walls, standing shoulder to shoulder, the prophet and God. They're both doing the same job. That's what Hosea is saying. So what, what God is doing, the prophet is doing. And we should remember that about our prophets. And yet, snares await him on all his paths, and hostility is in the house of God. Um, in Hosea's time, there were prophets who were being murdered because of their message. Shortly before this, a wicked queen Jezebel, you remember her? She had planned to kill a hundred prophets that the earlier prophet Obadiah hid into two caves, um, 50 in each, to, to spare their lives for a while. Um, and we know that, um, oh, this is a terrible story. Well, it's in Hebrews 11. So one of the prophets, we think it was Isaiah, was um, in a tree hiding from bad King Manasseh. And they, 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 they found him and the king ordered the tree to be sawed in half. And that's how they killed Isaiah, the great prophet Isaiah, by being sawn down with a tree. I'm sorry, I shouldn't tell you that just a couple hours before bedtime. I'm sorry. Let's go on to other stuff. Oh, I'm sorry. It's even worse stuff later in this same, in the same slide. So let's go on. They have sunk deep into corruption as in the days of Gibeah. Ugh. God will remember their wickedness and punish them for their sins. So Gibeah is in the book of Judges. Judges has a, a section, the, 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 most of the book, Chapters 1 to probably 18 is the historical part of Judges. Then you have this little section at the, at the back that just depicts how bad things were getting, but it's actually from earlier in the book, from, from very early in the, in the days of the Judges, but it's this little appendix with, with what happened, and that was this. Do you see the star there at Gibeah? I just, it's a red star I just made up here. Do you see how close it is to Jebus? Right below, can you read that? It's kind of, just bear with me, it's the next one down. Um, so Jebus is the old name for Jerusalem. So you see Bethlehem at the bottom there. If we are the temple in Jerusalem, Bethlehem is as far away from here 
as MVL is from this room. Okay? That's five miles on my odometer. Um, Gibeah is in the other direction about where Menards is on the, north, on the west side of town. That's kind of where Gibeah was, so about three miles away. Okay? Or maybe Walmart, but in, in there somewhere. That's how close this was to the ancient Jerusalem. And the, the, the story, which is kind of terrifying, is that this Levite, who's a guy who's going to be a priest, wants to marry this pretty girl. She says, no, I don't know what my father will say. He says, oh, come with me anyway. He takes her. They kind of elope. And she's called his concubine, which is his not-quite-wife. Um, they are traveling. They go to Gibeah. And the wicked men of Gibeah rape her and murder her in the night. And she is just alive enough to crawl back to the door where her husband is. And she dies on the threshold. And this Levite, how can I say this delicately, sends a message. Maybe I don't have to tell all the details. He sends a message to the 12 tribes And they go crazy over this terrible, terrible sin. And Gibeah is in the tribe of Benjamin, which is a very small tribe. And the people of Benjamin realize they're going to kill us all. And the people of, of all the other tribes, the other 11 tribes, attack the tribe of Benjamin. And what ends up happening is that the tribe of Benjamin is almost entirely wiped out And then we have this story of Zelophehad's daughters. And there are these girls, young women who have never been married, who survive this war. And there's nobody left in uh, Gibeah, in, in, the, in the tribe of Benjamin, to have children. It's, it's, they've wiped out, almost wiped out the tribe. And they take these daughters of this guy named Zelophehad. I forget if there's a hundred of them or what it is. And they tell these young men who have no brides, okay, we've made a vow that those uh, daughters, that no one can give their daughters to the men of Benjamin to, to procreate the tribe. And so they set up this little thing where these girls are going to celebrate this festival and the men of the tribe of Benjamin hide behind trees. And then when the pretty girl dances by, they grab her and elope. And then she hasn't been given because she's been stolen. But then it's like now, they're, now they've got their brides though. And they, they, and they kind of condone this and that's how it, so it's, you know, you make a vow to God and you, and you, and you take the vow seriously. You've got to be really careful about breaking the vow. And they, they did things like that. Anyway, that's the, the terrible story of Gibeah and what happened when a tribe of Israel almost got entirely wiped out. When I found Israel, the Lord says, it was like finding grapes in the desert. If you're out gasping for air in the desert or for water, 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 what would be the best thing you could possibly find? Well, water. But the thing about finding fruit is it's water I can carry, right? That's, grapes is like I could have some now and I can take it with me. I can put it in a bag or in my pocket, or I can wear it around my neck, or whatever, and I can go. And so it's fantastic. And God says, that's what it was like when I found Israel. Here's this tribe, 
and nobody believes in me anymore, and here's this family that believes in me. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel. It was like seeing the early fruit on the fig tree. Fig trees uh, give fruit twice in the same growing season. When the old figs are kind of rotten and they're you know, the ones that nobody picked, when they're kind of rotting and about to fall off, before the new growing season starts, on the old buds, figs will appear. They're, they're not the best, but you didn't expect to find them, and, then they're the, and there they are. It's like they're called the early figs, and wow, you know, you just weren't looking for that at all, and there it is. And if you're, if you're starving, that's fantastic. But then when they came to Baal Peor, this happens in the book of Numbers. Israel was on their way into capturing the promised land, and they fell into sin because of this false prophet named Balaam. And he got them to sin, and, and they, they fell into this sin as Baal Peor. They consecrated themselves to that shameful idol and became as vile as the thing they loved. Ephraim's glory will fly away like a bird. Uh, uh, last, I forgot what day it was. It was a Wednesday. When did I preach on a Wednesday last here at St. Paul's? Was it two weeks ago? Um, I think Pastor Scharf and I were in the, in, the, in the pastor's locker room that's called the sacristy, back in the opposite corner of the building from where I am. It's on the alley back there by the garage. So we're talking, and Pastor Scharf went to look outside for something. And normally when you open that door, there's a little bush there. And about 10,000 sparrows seem to live in that bush because it just explodes with sparrows. Well, what happened was, that day it wasn't sparrows, it was cardinals. And there was this beautiful cloud of red poof. You know, and, 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 of, and of course my associate goes, ah, you know, because these birds are flying. But, and the thing, the cardinals have never come back. So gone without a trace. And that's what uh, the, the prophet is saying here. Like the Ephraim's glory will fly away like a bird. And then this terrible, terrible condemnation. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. And that's in opposite order, isn't it? You know, normally conception would be first, then pregnancy, then birth. This is, none of it is going to happen. Okay, verse 12. And this is, this, is, this is frightening. Even if they rear children, I will bereave them of every one. Do you know what it means to, to bereave? I will make them sad. It's like the Lord is saying, I'm going to make them grieve for their babies because the, uh, the babies are all going to die. That's, that's what that means. It's a terrible, terrible thing. Woe to them when I turn away from them. I have seen Ephraim like Tyre. I'll come back to that. Planted in a pleasant place, but Ephraim will bring out their children to the slayer. It's almost like saying to the grim reaper. You know, um, Tyre was a famous city up in, um, oh, in America, the biggest trees come from the Pacific Northwest, right? The big, the big forests up there. And the same thing was true in Israel, in Canaan. The Northwest is where the, all the big trees grew. They called it Lebanon. And all the big cedars and things uh, came from Lebanon. And uh, in Lebanon were a couple of important cities. One was called um, Sidon and one was called Tyre. And Tyre uh, 
was this beautiful city on the coast, but they kept getting attacked by people. And the people got tired of it after a while. Uh, I, I, no pun intended. They got sick of it after a while. And they, maybe that's where that comes from, I don't know. And they moved out to a, a pretty little island, just out uh, about, about a, a, not quite a mile out into the Mediterranean. There was this island. And they moved out there. And it's got two harbors. And they, they moved the whole city out there. The whole kit and caboodle. Uh, they put walls around it and built up the harbors. And, uh, and, and that's what the Lord is talking about. It's like planted in a pleasant place. It's beautiful. Thing. Later, Alexander the Great conquered the city of Tyre by destroying another city and taking all the rubble stone by stone and making his soldiers throw it into the ocean, into the Mediterranean Sea, and building what's called a causeway, a walkway out to the island. It's still there. It's changed the geography of the Mediterranean there because... It's what Napoleon, or not Napoleon, Alexander uh, did. Give them, O Lord, what will you give them? Give them wombs that miscarry. What's a womb? It's, it's where the mama grows the baby, right? It's, it's her womb. And breasts that are dry. So if a mama's breasts don't make milk, the baby starves. Yeah, dies. Yeah. Um, true of animals as well as, as well as people. By the way, this kind of a verse is called an imprecatory verse where the prophet wishes evil on someone. It's usually what God has promised and then the prophet or psalmist will say, let that happen, O Lord. It's significant because in all the book of Hosea, this is the only imprecatory passage. So there are lots of these in Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Amos and so forth. You know, there's all kinds, you know, prophets are saying like, dash their heads against the stones and things. But in, in, this is it for Hosea. So we'll go on. Because of all their wickedness in Gilgal, I hated them there. That's a reminder, I think, of that sin. We talked about it before, but we called the place Adam, where they had crossed into the promised land and that guy, Achan, had stolen a, a gold wedge and some clothing and stuff and right before the battle, or just after the battle of Jericho. So Gilgal is associated with that too. I hated them. Because of their sinful deeds, I will drive them out of my house. Get out of my house. That's what God's going to say. I will no longer love them. All their leaders are rebellious. So also a reminder of the beginning of the book where he has the prophet name his children not loved and so forth. I'm not going to love them anymore. Israel is blighted, their root is withered, they yield no fruit. Even if they bear children, I will slay their cherished offspring. My God will reject them because they have not obeyed him. They will be wanderers among the nations. Does that remind you of anything? Wanderers among the nations? I'm thinking it even before then. Cain. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth. When he gets, he's sinned and now he's going to be a wanderer. Yeah. Okay. That brings us to the end of uh, chapter 9. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.